one of the questions that I was pondering as I was looking at Ephesians 5 is why is why is Christ why is uh, why are Christians why why is Christianity so hated um, went from kind of a passive aggressive to an aggressive aggressive right they making no qualms about it uh, the the world is is definitely against Christianity. In fact, if you really look at a lot of the things that are going on, especially under the woke umbrella, uh, a lot of the a lot of those things are, are direct attacks uh, to biblical beliefs. And so, in essence, biblical beliefs are going to be uh, somewhat illegal uh, or definitely labeled as, by definition, hate crimes and. It's kind of a scary thing, but but it makes me think. Well, well why? Well, what, why is it that that it's that way? I mean, you know, we've we've lived in a society amongst each other, a lot of different beliefs and faiths, and you usually faith to faith. There's not a whole lot of uh, arguments. It's like if if they're nice and they go their way, and we're nice and we go our way, and Everybody who doesn't even believe in either one goes their way. Then everybody's happy and gets along together. Um, I mean, what's what's to hate about Christianity? It's a, a religion of, of that, that promotes kindness. It's a religion that, that by definition, is a religion of, of forgiveness, right? Uh, who doesn't want to be around people that that have a, a desire to forgive, uh, which means they're they're peacemakers. Uh, we we serve a uh, a God who commands that we are generous and 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 sharing, and as we've gone over the last couple of weeks, uh, loving and in in a real way of being again patient, kind, gentle, and not braggadocious and not keeping accounts of wrong, suffer, but bearing all, hoping all, believing in all, and um, actually living out those character virtues. So what's the rub? Well, here's the rub. The rub is, well, people love their sin. Uh, they don't just like it. They, they love it. And a lot of those barriers have kind of come down now. And, and, and they, they're, they're very brazen in their sin. I've um, thought often and, and looked and studied at you know, the, the hippie movement. And maybe some of you were hippies. I don't know. Um, I'm glad you repented. Um, <laughs> the sad thing about the, the movement as a whole, you know, leave me alone, you know, uh, an attack on uh, against authority, especially your parents, um, you know, the, the sex, drugs, rock and roll, just me, 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 pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. And, and that little group of, of rebels, they won. They won the culture. You, you think about everything that the hippies were standing for and believed in it is everything that our society is, is racing towards right now or, or in the middle of. It's crazy when you think about it. Uh, they didn't win the, 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 the battle back in the 60s, but they won the war. And it's because everybody teamed up with them and everybody joined around and rallied around. Well, not them, but 
around sin and their own sin. And well, then that naturally included them. And again, it's that, well, let me just pursue my thing. Leave me alone. Just leave me alone. You do what you do. Stop judging me. Let me pursue pleasure and, and satisfaction. And now those things weren't always like by definition evil things, right? You know, going and, and just like doing fun things that you like. Legal, fun things that you like. But the problem is when that becomes your A1 goal in life and that's the only thing that you want to do, play, well, that becomes a problem, that, that, that ravenous pursuit of personal pleasure. Um, and so man has become a, a, a being that hungers and thirsts for unrighteousness. Matthew commands us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, but we actually really hunger and thirst for unrighteousness. You see that as you read through the Proverbs, just the, the plotting, the planning, the teaming up of, of we as, as people to actually do evil and wicked things. Um, and so, as we read earlier in, in Romans 6, as Livy read for us, there's, there's two kinds of slaves. And, and make no mistake, you are a slave to your master. There's no free man or woman in this room. You're a slave to a master. The question is, who's your master? Who's your daddy? And are you a slave of righteousness? Which means that, that you, have, you have to do the will and the bidding of your master, God, to, to be obedient and righteous. Or are you, are you a slave to sin? And, and you see that in Romans 6 just so beautifully laid out that, that well, we, we all have that starting position of sin. And, well, God is glorified in our personal testimonies and how he's transformed us and, and, and saved us from our past and created new creatures in Christ. And we're new people, people and we're, we're born again and praise God for that testimony. And so, well, maybe the more I sin, the more God's glorified. No, no, no. May it never be. You, Christ died so that we would die to ourselves, so that we would die to that sin and then forget being and, and throw off the shackles of, of slavery to sin and, and become slaves of righteousness. But see, we live in a society that so loves sin that we become like the little spoiled brats that don't like to hear no, that don't want to hear no for any reason. You know, no, don't run across the street without looking, right? Seems basic, but I like running around across the street without looking because I'm in the middle of my game and I, and I can't think straight and, and, and I'm so focused around this alternate reality of my front yard being, you know, whatever it is and make believe land that the street no longer has any bearing on that. So if I run across it, I run across it. I know that guy. I was that guy. And your parents tell you don't run across the street to save your life, to protect you from injury, from danger. And that's what God has done to us. And so hearing no is a good thing for us. 
getting instruction is, is what we need. We don't need, and this is what makes me laugh, is we don't need individuality, right? Uniqueness. It's kind of like, the, again, the hippie things. We're, we're individual. We're free to do whatever. Well, why do you guys all dress alike? It's like you guys all look the same. You look like hippies. I don't know where you go to the hippie shop and get the hippie clothes and the ugly threads and, and the, you know, I guess not brushing your hair and, you know, having deodorant is cool. But you're not unique. You're just following a different pattern. You're following a different daddy. And so the question then for us is, well, if, if we're all followers, yeah, I know we all think we're rugged Americans and individual and, you know, our own people, but we're all followers. Well, what are we or who are we followers of? Because we are, we're followers. Well, we're followers of, of this book of the Holy Scriptures, the Bible written by God himself. This is God breathed. All Scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness. That's what this book does for us. It's not just a book of rules. It's not just a book of rules. There are rules. There are precepts and guidelines and statutes and commands. Yes, absolutely. But, but more than that, there's, there's a way that we're supposed to live. And that way isn't like just some legalistic list of rules. No, we, we are to have heart. It's not just a heartless religion. It's not just a bunch of acts of, of religiosity that we'll do, and we'll kind of get into that later. No. We're, we're to actually follow a certain way. Uh, the ladies are studying the book of Acts. You know what Christianity was called in the book of Acts? The way. What way? What way? It, it was understood what that way was. Everybody knew the way. The, the people on the outside of the church are calling them. You guys are those people of the way. And by definition, well, what way? Whose way? Jesus's way. You guys follow that Jesus guy, don't you? You do his stuff. You do his way. You're, you're following the Bible, the way of the Bible. The, the, the um, accordances of the Bible as described in Acts 24. And so Christianity was actually identified first as the way. Well, I, I like that phrase. I, I, I like the idea coming from a corporate branding kind of background that I like. You know, you always have your, your brand and this is the way. This is the, the Disney way. This is the, the Oriole way. This is, uh, you know, the way that we function as a company, an organization, and we get shirts and have acronyms and, you know, we all look the same because we're all part of the way. Well, Imagine if you were like a part of a, like a, a, a way of a, of a groupie, right, group, a music group. We'll keep our kind of hippie-ish theme going. Um, think of the Grateful Dead. You know, some of you are probably familiar with the Grateful Dead. Ironically, maybe your life mirrors them and like they've been around forever like some of you. So it's like it just keeps on going. The party never ends, right? Sorry, Shane, but uh, yeah. 
And so here's the Grateful Dead, right? And there's this band and, you know, they're like notorious. The followers are the deadheads. And they just go, you know, they go on tour for the summer. We're going wherever they go, we go. You follow the Grateful Deads. And so imagine if you're like, man, I, I'm a deadhead. I love the Grateful Dead. Oh, really? Do you, do you like their music? No, I don't No, Not really. It's kind of weird. And I mean, they got one song, you know, it's like they've been a band for 50 years. They got one song. Nobody even knows the name of it. But anyway, I love them. But hey, I don't really like their music. And I don't really like their clothes. The whole tie dye thing doesn't work for me, you know. Um, and I don't really want to travel with them. I'm, I got a job. I got, you know, I got I to gotta live. But I love the band. I'm part of the band. Um, well, are you? Are you really? I mean, do you really follow them? So, well, it's more of like a vibe thing. And part of the, like, the, the vibe of them. Well, see, we, we have created a, a, a culture in Christianity where it's like, well, I just kind of like the vibe, the vibe of Christianity, the idea of Christianity. And I can go clean up for, you know, an, an hour and, you know, just kind of, you know, the music is, you know, okay and uh, I, f- I feel good and I don't sin for an hour while I'm in there. Um, so that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm holy. And... It's like, yeah, but you're really not a follower of the way. You're really not a deadhead, right? You're just, you know, a part-time fan, not a follower. But see, we're to follow the way that God says. And God has a lot to say about how we walk in a manner worthy of the death of Jesus Christ. That, that commands a certain type of obedience. It commands a certain kind of devotion. It commands that when we walk and we follow him, that, 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 there's, that there's complete devotion to Christ. And so he teaches us and the word tells us how we're supposed to live. And one of the areas that it shows us clearly is how we're to function in marriage. You don't, you don't get to just wing it. Well, I, I was winging it when I was dating. I was winging it when I picked that person. I was winging it in the first you know, couple years of marriage when we we're establishing the foundation of our marriage. And it was winging it you know, 15 years into it. And you know, 20 years later, it's like, man, this thing's a mess. I don't know what went wrong. Well, that's why you're going to lose your winging it privileges, right? Um, God has set up a pattern before marriage, during dating, early marriage, and the, and the principle and the foundation of that is going to be this word. And so we're looking at five ways that husbands love their wives. Not the way the world says to love your wife. Not the way, you know, Hallmark says to love your wife. The way God says, this is how you're supposed to love your wife. As Christ loved the church. And so we're looking at five different ways. We covered one last week, a sacrificial love. This week, we're going to look at a purifying love and a holy love. And the next week, we'll look at a tender love and a unifying love. So today we're going to look at a purifying love and a holy love, but, but first, especially for some who maybe weren't here, let's, let's just kind of quick review that, that, that foundation of the sacrificial love that, 
that, that Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the standard, not man. Sorry, you may have great parents. Uh, your parents are sinners too. They've done some good things. They've done some bad things. You have neighbors, family, friends, whatever, but Jesus is the standard. The way for husbands to love their wives is to imitate Christ. That's how we love. That's how we live out the, the fruits of the Spirit, like Christ. And it began with Jesus giving himself up, completely giving himself up. That's the starting point. There's no place for self-centeredness. Everything I hear nowadays and every conversation, especially when they talk about relationships, is, well, you've got to start by loving yourself. You've you got to take care of yourself. You know, it's, your mental health is, is the most important thing. That's completely opposite of what the Bible says. Now think about that for a second. If, if Satan is the master of deception, the, and the master of deception uses words and twists words and twists meanings and twists definitions and understanding like he he's started in the, in the garden, deception is the name of the game, then wouldn't it be a great thing to start at the wrong place by saying, you know what you need to do? You need to start your day by looking in the mirror and looking at yourself and pleasing that person. And try that. Go home and just look at your face for five minutes. You will not be happy. <laughs> Sorry. It, it, it's a self-defeating process. You'll look at yourself and go, do my ears really look like that? Oh my, this is my nose. Oh no, my nose. My oh, oh, I got wrinkles. Oh, what's that spot on there? And oh, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And it's like, you think, well, but, but, I, but I love myself. No, you don't. You hate yourself. You, you really do. You will pick apart yourself and you'll be so twisted and tormented by your self-love that your, your mind will be warped. Well, God says, don't look at yourself. Throw the mirror away. Look at other people. Think about how you can please them. Think about how you can serve them. Think about how you can love them. That's the starting place. And so Jesus himself empties in, in the kenosis in Philippians 2, empties himself empties any pride, empties any arrogance, the ultimate act of humility, no bragging. Jesus comes onto the earth and the way, the way of Christ is to be sacrificial, to be sacrificial, to lay aside his crown, to become the ultimate servant slave, to yield his titles, his power, his authority, his prestige, his position, his comfort. He lays it all aside. Again, we're the opposite. No, no, no. It's got to be, uh, I need to be happy. What about my position? What about my title? What about the way you respect me? What about my prestige? What about my comfort? What about my personal peace? And it's like all you think about is self. Christ is the complete opposite. And so the way that was established was the king, the, the, the Lord of the universe, giving himself up even to the point 
of death, sacrificially to the point of death. And again, his ultimate point and purpose in this sacrificial love was to die to pay the price for sin, not just to die out of bravery, not just to die because the bad man is coming to your, to your front door to get you and your family. No, the sacrifice here in the death and the emptying of self was to provide that path for salvation. Think about that. That's the starting point for a husband in loving his wife. That's a lot harder when you think about it. That, that dying that way is harder than dying for protective purposes. And so that was the first, the, the, the first aspect of how Christ loved the church. As we look at, uh, back to Ephesians 5, um, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. We imitate him and gave himself up for her. So the sacrificial love, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And so the second way that husbands are commanded to love their husbands is with a purifying love, a purifying love. Well, what does that mean? Well, unfortunately, our starting point is impure. I hate to break it to you, but... She's cute, but she's a sinner. He's ruggedly handsome, but he's got sin. And so our starting point is you got these two people and they fall in love and, and they come together and it's like ready, set, go. And the starting point is from a sinful position. Well, that's a bummer. <laughs> But his job and his role as, as the head. See, leadership, don't miss this, leadership equals responsibility. Everybody wants the title of leadership. Everybody wants the, 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 the money and the prestige of leadership. But they don't really want to earn it. So my, my favorite thing when I hear is like, well, why are, there, why are there so many, you know, men that are CEOs? You know what a CEO is? It's the guy who starts the company. Anybody in this room could be a CEO tomorrow. If that's really what you're after, then go become a CEO. If you want to be a famous CEO who makes millions and millions of dollars, well, you're probably going to need to be smart too. Well, I'm out. Um, and so now we start looking into other things. Well, our, our starting point is leadership, men, as leaders, your responsibility in this sinful relationship starting point is to purify your wife, to help her get to a point of what? Of cleansing. And so it's the process of purification is, is, is a cleansing process. So think about filtered water, right? In California, you don't drink the water from the, from the spigot or the hose or the faucets. You, you can literally see like the colors and it's not pretty. You know, you can see the little contaminants floating around in there. You don't want to drink things that have things floating, right? That's not generally a good idea. And you can taste it. You, there's like this, what is that taste, you know? And, and, and it's, 
it's weird, so you don't drink it, right? And you, you buy purified water in a bottle, and it's clear, and it's, it's clean. It's, been, it's gone through a process of filtering out the contaminants, getting rid of the contaminants. Well, you guys wouldn't, like, go to someone's house, and they just had, like, here's, here's their, their kitchen. They have, like their sink and it's full with dirty dishes and that kind of thing, right? Like, oh, would you like something to drink? Like, sure. They walked over there and just like pulled it out of the dirty thing, <laughs> reached out the window and, you know, they'd use the garden hose because, you know, whatever, it's water. And say, here, have a glass of water. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> you can keep your water. Well, you're doing your marriage like that. I'm just going to leave you on your own, all dirty and contaminated and unclean. I mean, it sounds crazy, but that, that's what you're doing when you, when you have a mindset of, I'm going to just let her be. No, you're supposed to be active in this process. The Old Testament constantly talks about sanctification, cleansing, and purification. Why? Because there is no perfect. There is no perfect. We are not perfect as people. So Leviticus in Numbers 8, 7 talks about this. But here's the thing. We, we, we have to start this process then with this mindset. First of all, husbands, you, your, your leadership is to help your wife towards purification. But you got issues too, guy, right? So by definition, you're working on, on that as well. So we work on it together. We're working on this process together. It's, my wife and I have been you know, married for 30 years. I've been working a long time on her. <laughs> she had a couple months. I've got 30 years. No, that's not it at all. We've been working hard together from day one every single day working together like iron sharpens iron. We help each other in that process. It's, it's a beautiful thing when you're working together in that way. As the leader, I have to take the, the, the lead responsibility in making sure. Why? Because as we'll see later, I'm presenting her back to Christ. I, I, I have accountability. Um, and so the process then is a humble process. Let me be clear. It's a humble process of leadership. It's humble because you are impure too. It's humble because you're in the process of purification and sanctification too. And it's humble because it takes time and effort. I, I saw a video and, and they were showing a, 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 pure, a Jewish purification process. And, and just the, the visual optics of it and the, the, the holy men that were leading this were anything but humble. They were arrogant in their sacrifice. Now th think about that for a second. How does one be in the sacrificial system itself display ultimate arrogance? Well, because it's just a religious act at that point. They're, they're not humble. They don't think of themselves as, as, as really being um, so, so sinful and so at the mercy of of, of, of God 
that, that this is a, an, a, an amazing opportunity. I don't even know how it can be that this process would, would help purify me. I'm so thankful that, that it does. That, that should be the mindset. Not, I'm so much better than her. She needs my help. I'll throw her a couple bones. That, that is not the attitude at all. But let's, let's make sure we know that. Sin, it's dirty, it's, it's unclean, it's impure, it's polluted, it's corrupted. We're, we're corrupted people. Uh, the first thing I thought about when I, when I, was, I was corrupted people, I was like, yeah, it's like those government officials, the politicians. They're so corrupt. Well, what does that mean? I mean, we say it. Well, what does it mean? And, and, and again, it came right back to the, the self-centeredness. Politicians are supposed to be representatives of the people, right? So as a representative, I take your desires and wishes back to Washington, D.C. for your interests. What do we have today? People who are leaders who have self-interest. They're selfish with, I don't care what you guys think. I don't care what you need or want. The only time I care about you is when I need you to vote for me so I can say or do anything to get you to vote for me. But, but from the minute that I went, I only care about myself and building my own wealth and my own success and my own name. Just take a look. And that's Republican or Democrat. They all do the same thing. I mean, I would, I would love to go take a job that pays $155,000 a year and somehow come out with $20 million. <laughs> It's amazing. Talk to any business owner. It's hard to make money. You know what's even harder? Keeping it. The, the government right away takes away tons of it and then keeps doing it and doing it and doing it over and over and over. What? It's corrupt. They think of themselves. This is the definition of corrupt. You're not supposed to be a corrupt husband. If, if you have that, you're, you, you've got blinders on. You're supposed to be her representative. And, and your goal is to sacrificially love her to help her get to that point of sanctification in the process of purifying. And so as Exodus 30, 20 says, we... We, we wash with water for, for spiritual purification. Now, that, that's in Exodus 30, 20. That was a, a symbolic foreshadowing of something better. There was a next step from that symbolic foreshadowing of using water to wash away and purify sin. And what was that? We saw that. Almost immediately in Matthew 3, 6 with John the Baptist coming in. And what was he doing? He was, he was baptizing people, washing them with water. And what were people doing? Confessing their sins. It was a confession of sin. And then a purification process to what? As Acts 22, 16, it was baptism is the idea of washing away sins. That's why we continue the process of, of baptism. It's, it's showing in, in a symbolic gesture, this is what happens. All our sin, all are, 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 are sinful. The wages of sin is death. But you can be forgiven by the confession 
of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection to wash and wipe away your sin to purify you. That's the process. And it's not new. God has been consistent from the beginning. It was symbolic early, and now it's, it's in, in reality because of the blood atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. David understood this in, in, in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We sing the song. Purify my heart. Cleanse me from my sin. A loving father, a loving husband, I should say, has that mentality of uh, uh, part of my headship in my home is to help in this consecration process. How do I do it? How do I do it? Verse 26, he might sanctify her, which is a process, having cleansed her by the washing of water. How? With the word. With the word. Not because he's so holy. Not because he's so perfect. Not because he's a genius. Not because he's read a bunch of, you know, husbanding books and listened to a ton of podcasts. It's because he knows the word. And he applies the word to his marriage in this process. And so that's how we're reconciled. We're reconciled by, by, by the word of God. And again, remember that this is, this is a process. It's not instantaneous. What happens if you, you know, eat breakfast today and, you know, you put the dishes in the, in the sink and you eat lunch today and you put the dishes in the sink and then you eat dinner and you put the dishes in the sink. What happens with the dishes? Well, they stack up and are dirty. So if you wash them, then they're clean now. But here's the thing. They get dirty every day. What a bummer, right? Every day they get dirty. So guess what? Every day you need to clean them. Every day there's acts and activities. Remember with the sacrifice for the unknown sin? We sin when we don't even know it. So we're in a constant state of need of this, this, this purification because it's constant. To every single day. So you had a great day. You had a great week. You had a great year. You've had a great five years. In year five, day one, guess what? You got to keep doing it again and again and again and again. It's a process. You don't ever stop. You don't ever give up. And so we follow the way, the way of Purification is by applying the best cleanser you've ever seen. It's better than, you know, sham wow. It's, it's, it's the blood of Christ. That's the purification process. His word is the process. That's it. There's, there's no magic bean. We have to read and study it, and then we have to obey it. And, and as... Heads of the family, husbands are commanded to love their wives with a purifying kind of love. Well, the next step to that, the third way a husband's commanded to love their wives is with a, a holy love. 
And you think, well, are th aren't those the same? No, they're, they're not the same. They're similar, but not the same. Verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. One of the things that we should notice right away, verse 27, that, that Christ presents himself to the church, right? And he's going to present his bride, the church, to God. There, there's a, here, here, Lord, this is, this is what I've done. I, I, I died and I paid the price for their sin. I cleansed them. I purified them so that they can be homely and blameless and enter into the presence of God. That, that, that's what Jesus has done. That's our role. We're stewards. We, we have a, a, a binding covenant with our wives, but we don't own them. We're, we're just stewards of what God has gifted us with. Um, I knew a guy that he started dating this girl in, in, um, uh, when I was in college. And we were in the library and we were ironically goofing around in the library where we weren't really studying but we look like it so that was good and this girl's dad comes in and she's from virginia and we're in california it's like whoa that's weird he's like hey can i can I have a talk with you and i was like Ooh, that's gonna be fun so he walks out the door and i could see him outside and i'm kind of watching and they're just sitting there having a little chat and this this guy's got this this watch you know he's I could see him, he's playing around with it and, you know, talking to my buddy. And when he tells my buddy, the, the whole time he's talking, as I found out later, is he's telling my buddy how much he loves this watch, how amazing this watch is, how he worked at this company for 25 years and it was a Rolex watch and they, they gave him as a gift and it was an expensive watch and, and, and he loved it. it. It just, it embodied, you know, his work ethic, his pride, his, his you know, just how well he's done. You know, and, he, and he's got this watch. He's like, now, if I were going to loan you this watch, and he takes the watch off, and he chucks it at my buddy. And, he, you know, good thing he was a baseball player, right? And he, he catches it. He's like, if I was going to loan you that watch, how do you think I would want it to come back to me? <laughs> and he's like, mm, like the same, you know? He's like, not a scratch not a smudge, not a dent. I want that watch coming back to me better than I'm going to loan it to you. And I was like, whoa. In that, I, I was, I, for the first time, I was like, okay, so this is what like, like the standard is. It's a high standard. God calls us and he sets the bar high. You don't hear, in the Bible, when you're reading, it's like, here's a command. You're commanded to do this, except if this happens. Where's that verse? There is no verse that has, because that's what we do, right? Well, here, here's, here, here's what we should do. Um, uh, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Well, unless you grew up in a bad neighborhood. No, it doesn't, doesn't say that. Uh, don't get, get drunk with wine, but for that is disputation. Well, unless something really ha bad happens that week. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. Well, unless you, th there's never an, an unless. There's never an exception to the rule. 
Now, are there exceptions to the rule? Well, yeah, that's called the blood of Christ. But the standard is always set very, very high. I want that back perfect. Husbands, we're stewards of wives, and God wants her back. Holy and blameless. How's that for a standard? Holy and blameless. That means, if you don't understand, verse 27, that means no spot, no wrinkle. I had a good friend of mine who went to the uh, West Point, you know, military, and learned how to make a bed. But you don't think much of it, but, you know, you've probably seen it in movies where, you know, they can throw the, you know, the cord around the bed and it bounces. Well, he learned how to do that. And it was like so smooth and so nice. It's like no spot, no wrinkle. I mean, it, it looked painted. It was impressive. That's how God wants her back. Well, I'm a little rough. I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm uncouth. I, you know, I'm, I got my own problems. No, I don't care. I want her back without wrinkle, without spot. No stains, no smudge, no scrap, scratch. Holy and blameless, no exceptions. That's the standard. That's the goal. That's what husbands and how husbands are commanded to love their wife. That's effort. That's work. That's energy. That's devotion. All in, 100%, 100% of the time. That's why Peter 1.16 says, commands us to be holy as I am holy. In what? In everything, but especially your marriage. We, we, we like to kind of, as, as, as you're reading the Bible and you, you compartmentalize these things and say, well, yeah, that's just, I mean, when, when the scripture tells you that we're to be holy and to be perfect like Christ, what part of your life do you think he's talking about? The least important parts of your life or the most important parts of your life? Well, he means in all your life. One of the qualifications of an elder is that out in the community, you have a good name. Because it's important that you're a holy, righteous man, not just here in church and at the church picnic, but also at the corner market where people who know you at four corners are like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. He's the worst. No. Holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. The standard. We have a standard. The way. The way has a standard. That, that's why it's, it's sad and shameful that, that Christianity for all intents and purposes shouldn't at least be admired because, well, they're so kind. How, how is it that Correct me if I'm wrong, that when you're, oh, there's very sweet family, super kind, just upstanding. You know, they have nice business, good kids. Yeah, must be Mormon. <laughs> right? Th that, that should be, oh, they've got to be Christian all the way. That guy, he does, his, his work ethic, it used to be, I mean, when, when, when he builds something, oh, the finished work on that, the carving in that, that was the Puritan work ethic. 
Oh, the quilts. They, they make, nobody can make a quilt like a handmade Amish quilt. It's the Puritan work ethic. All that was the, the mindset of, of, of being excellent and great and having the highest standard, not the lowest one. You know, if I do this real quick, I could pump out a, a hundred quilts a month. That, that was, wasn't the goal, not the goal. That shouldn't be our goal in marriage. Just get through the day. I just want to get through. I just want to make it. I just want to just, just want to make it. Think about your marriage for a second. Think about the marriage that maybe you want to have because you're not married yet. And it's like, here's my goal. We just get by. We just get through the day. Oh, it's, it's so... Does that sound good to you? No. We don't want to survive marriage. We don't want to just survive because it can be tough. It will be tough. It is tough. You will have to be patient for a long time. Remember, long suffering. By definition, put this in your brain. My marriage is going to be long suffering. That's okay. That's okay. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Be prepared. Be prepared to do the work. Be prepared to do the work with a goal of per perfection, with the selfless goal of thinking of the other person's joy and happiness and spiritual well-being. And if you set that as your standard, you're going to be too busy to worry about your warts. Too much on your hands. So, so we, again, we, we follow the way. We imitate the way of Jesus. We, we follow his pattern. We follow his pattern of how Christ loved the church, sacrificially loving the church in a purification kind of way, leading the church towards holiness. Holiness. The Old Testament talks a lot and has a lot of, of, of detailed laws. Read Leviticus and, and you'll see you know, specific things about what to do and what not to do because in the Old Testament, like, all right, we need to establish what the way is. We need to be crystal clear because uh, the Ten Commandments were just a, a little too vague. Be more specific. Okay. Um, here were some of the things in, in the Old Testament that the definition of holiness was to be set apart, to be different than the Canaanites and the Philistines and the Egyptians. Don't be like them. Don't worship their idols. Don't worship their false gods. Don't follow their ways. Their colors are purple and gold. Ours are blue. We don't wear purple and gold jerseys. We wear blue jerseys. Separate, right? Identification. You can walk into a room. You know, that's what's cool about sports. You go into a stand. I know who's rooting for who. Right? They got their colors. They got their jerseys. Great. We know whose side you're on. That's what God was calling Israel to separation. It wasn't a race thing. It wasn't a color of your skin thing. It wasn't an ethic thing. It was all about who they worshiped and served. And so Israel was commanded to be different. Well, what were some of those things? Oh, things like hair, clothes, tattoos, piercings, 
It's like, isn't that crazy that 4,000 years ago, here God is establishing what holiness and separation was from, from Israel and other nations. And, and, and those things are listed. And we fast forward to now and it's like, why do you make a big deal out of that stuff? Is it a big deal? Does that keep me from being in heaven? Right? We always love that one. No, that does not keep you from being in heaven. Whether you have long hair, short hair, bald hair, no hair, you know, the clothes. But it is part of this process of being separate from the world. Because the world says, well, this is what's cool. This is how we look. And, and you, you got to love having the conversations with, with the teens that want to be rebellious. So, you know, but we want to do this. Well, that, that's not to be like Jesus because he wasn't like, didn't do that. You're, you're not imitating Christ. You're not imitating anything in the, what you're imitating is something in the world. By definition, you are. So it doesn't have to be, again, whether your hair's bald or long, that, that's not holiness in and of itself. The holiness was in the difference between this is what God's people look like and this is what the world looks like. God's people don't walk around with green hair. Why? I don't know why. Never have. What's green hair? Is green hair, again, by definition, evil? No. But who walks around with gray hair, green hair? Oh, people who have problems with their parents and are rebellious and, right? Wow, shocker. Um, people who, you know, look at their face and pierce anything that can be pierced. And, you know, they're broody and angry and, but, you know, they, they're, it's just, just their way. And their way, again, like I said, is just copying some other broody teenage thing. It's so funny, you know, I'm old enough now to where things are cycling back. And it's like, hey, I remember those kids. We had those in my high school too. It's like nothing's new. You, you think you're being unique and all you're doing is rebelling a, a, against what, what, what God's standards are. And again, don't confuse me. It's, it's, it's not about the externals. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But, but the externals do say something. They scream something. And if you don't understand or believe that, then you're lying and you're lying to yourself. Um, and so I remember reading in Matthew and I've shared this a, a while ago, but reading about that, that we're supposed to shine, right? We're supposed to shine like stars. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, stars don't speak. They just shine. They just are bright. You can just see them. You, you, you see their spectacularness. And I remember I used to hear when I was attending, you know, college and, you know, as a brand new believer and, and, and people thought they were being really sweet and kind. And they said, man, I, you've really surprised me. I thought you were dot, 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 and you're a pretty nice guy. You know, I thought they're being sweet. So what they're really saying is, man, you look like a cocky, conceited, arrogant jerk who hates God but I guess you're not. 
and you hear that once and twice and three times and four times and over and over and over again. It's like, well, what am I putting off here? What they see in my hair, my shaved hair, they see in my face, my countenance, the, the, the anger, whatever, what they hear in my voice and the cursing and the way I talked, what they see in the way I wear my clothes, what they see in my shoulders and my attitude, my arrogance and my pride, what they see is absolutely right. That's not a lover of God, guy. Now, I was in process and I'm, and I'm finding my way, guy, but on display, that, that's not what that was representing. And they were right. And, and, and one of the changes for me was when actually I started to think, I go, that's not good. I, I want people to see me and go, man, that guy's on fire for Christ. Because I could see guys on my baseball team that I respected, that everybody knew that dude loved the Lord. That that guy was on fire. That that guy and the way he played baseball you could see a difference. When he's walking around campus, everybody assumed. And so, husbands, your pursuit that you're commanded to do in this pursuit of holiness with, with, with your wives to ultimately present her with no spot or wrinkle, that's, that's your standard. That's your goal. Without word, you're supposed to humbly present her. If there were a ceremony, like a graduation ceremony, and you walked up and just, just like you did at your wedding day, and you, you came together and just reverse it, you walk back down the aisle, you go back to, to the podium, and, and you grab her by the hand, and just like her father turned her to you, you did that with God and said, Lord, here she is. No spot no wrinkle, holy and blameless. Does that register anywhere in your mind, in your marriage? Because if it doesn't, then you need to repent of that. And you need to change your goals of your marriage and you need to change the way you live your marriage. Nowhere in here does it say, and take her to the Bahamas. She'll dig it. Go to Europe. It's awesome. She let her drive this car. 5,000 square foot house. It doesn't say that. That should take some pressure off guys. (coughs) Girls, wives. That's not his goal. His goal is a spiritual one. His goal is to sacrificially love you, to give himself up even to death, (coughs) to save you. In that long process to purify you every single day, any way possible. (coughs) Excuse me. And to give her back. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) So remember. (coughs) And I threw away the cup of water just before. 
Remember, we all, all of us, we belong to God. Thank you. I almost choked myself drinking it. <laughs> Made it worse. It's crazy. We belong to God, not ourselves. We are slaves, bond servants for God, not ourselves. We are not kings. We're servants too. God established this beautiful gift of marriage. And again, for some who aren't married, this is your goal. This is the guy you're looking for. The guy who, he has at least this mindset. This is the goal. And maybe for some of you, your past marriage and you're, and you're the older, wiser one, consulting and giving wisdom and guidance. And this is what you're reminding them. This is what you're looking for. Not how awesome his job is. This is what God says is the image of marriage as displayed by Christ himself. He established it. It's his way. We don't redefine marriage. We don't reconstruct it. Well, it's 2023. Marriage is different now. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's his way. Not what TV does or a country song. It's God's way. And if you devote your life to serving your wife in this way, then you will have an unbelievably rich and blessed marriage. Let's pray. Lord.